Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Life Force from 1985. Directed by Toby Hooper, written by Dan O'Bannon and Don Jacoby, based on Colin Wilson's 1976 novel The Space Vampires, starring Steve Railsback, Matilda May, Peter Firth, Frank Finlay, and Patrick Stewart. In this film, a crew of astronauts discovers an alien ship with three aliens on board in a state of suspended animation. Disaster ensues when the three alien humanoids are brought back to Earth. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk about this spoiler-free for the first 15 or 20 minutes, just fleshing out some of the background info around this movie. But after that, we're going to play some transition music and start walking through the plot and spoiling everything, and then we'll review the film. So... If you're uh, wanting to see this movie before you hear us review it, once you hear that transition music, you can duck out and go watch this on Tubi, Paramount Plus, or Fubo. Uh, And this is a request by Ed M., a prominent member of our Discord server, who's really been pulling for this one, so thanks, Ed. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I watched this movie is all I'll say for now. Had you heard about it before he mentioned it? Yeah, it was actually on my watch list for my little nerd newbometer, which is detailed, and and the spreadsheet is out there on Patreon. I know some people are actually participating in that, so shout out to all of you who who have done that. That's awesome. Um, And I want to say it was Ian who even completed the thing, so shout out to Ian. Yeah, Got a nerd out there. Got a nerd out there. Um. Anyway, yeah, it was on my watch list just because I wanted to. I want to see at least 10 of uh, Toby Hooper's films. So it was on my radar, but it hadn't. I hadn't heard of it. It hadn't been on my radar until like two years ago. So Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, how about you? I hadn't heard about it until you mentioned it. I had no idea what this film was about. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of everything I've seen so far of Toby Hooper. He's, he's a great uh, director, so excited to catch up on more of his work. Yeah, I don't love everything he's made, but I, it's very interesting. I, I enjoy and I'm excited to check out more of his stuff. Um, How many of his films have you seen? I think about seven or so. Wow, so far. okay. I've only seen like Texas Chainsaw and Poltergeist. What, what else have you seen? You've also seen Texas Chainsaw 2. Oh, yeah, that was him, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've seen Eaten Alive from 1976, uh, The Fun House from 1981, Body Bags from 1993, which he co-directed with John Carpenter. Um, he's all, he also did Salem's Lot, which I've yet to see, um, and many more, many more films, many more horror films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, most people know him for for two of the most classic horror movies of all time, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974 and Poltergeist from 1982. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I guess only seeing three or four of his films, it's hard for me to understand, like, what his aesthetic or his vibe is. Cause like, yeah, those films are so different. Do you feel like seeing more of his films? Like you kind of know his style now? Yeah, I do. But now the life force has <laughs> turned that on its head. <laughs> I don't know his style anymore. I don't know this guy anymore. At all. But the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist could not be farther apart in terms of their aesthetic and tone yeah. and just like the director's fingerprints on it. But Eaten Alive was very reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I I was like, if I had seen that movie um, just in a vacuum, I might have been like, 
is this by the guy who did Texas Chainsaw? Sure. Um, so th- those are similar. The Fun House has certain elements that y- you can see the, the Texas Chainsaw Hooper fingerprints on that one. Mm. Um, I, I actually think those two are closer in tone to Texas Chainsaw than Texas Chainsaw 2 is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Texas Chainsaw 2 is like a whole different ballpark. Yeah, yeah. And we've got a familiar name here in the, the writers. Uh, one of the sc- people who did the screenplay was Dan O'Bannon. He wrote the screenplay for Alien. He wrote Dark Star with John Carpenter, uh, he, which was Carpenter's feature directorial debut. He co-wrote the screenplay for Total Recall. Uh, and he directed two features himself. One was The Resurrected from 1991, which was based on an H.P. Lovecraft story and starred Chris Sarandon from Fright Night. And the other one was uh, one of Austin's personal favorites, The Return of the Living Dead from 1985. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that made a lot of sense. I feel like Alien and Return of the Living Dead uh, make a lot of sense in context of this film. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, very much so. There was yeah. a scene in this film that really reminded me of The Return of the Living Dead. Okay. Um, which we'll get to when we do the plot walkthrough. Um, Don Jacoby, who also wrote the screenplay, uh, wrote another film that Hooper would direct in 1986, Invaders from Mars. He also co-wrote Arachnophobia from 1990 and co-wrote John Carpenter's Vampires from 1998. So both of these guys uh, wrote some films that, that John Carpenter made, which is interesting. Yeah. And then there's Colin Wilson, who wrote the novel The Space Vampires, which this film is based on. And uh, Colin implied that the film was the all-time worst adaptation of a novel ever. <laughs> so he wasn't too happy with the movie. And I did a weird thing, man. I read this book. Oh, when? Just this past week. Wow, that's awesome. I have like two pages left, but I'm pretty confident I <laughs> I understand <laughs> no, I, yeah. the book pretty thoroughly. <laughs> I was like trying it. to crush it before we recorded, but couldn't quite get there. Is it a recommended read? No. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great title, Space Vampires. Yeah, and Hoover really wanted them to keep that title. He... The movie wasn't super well-reviewed. It has a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 58% and a user user score of 46%. Hooper said he thought if they had kept that title, The Space Vampires, people would have looked at it through, quote-unquote, different sunglasses. Mm. Uh, we'd probably say through a different lens today. And basically be knowing what to expect when they step into a movie called Space Vampires. Yeah, that's kind of what's cool, though, about this title is uh, I had no idea what to expect going into it. Did did you have a sense of what it would be about? I did not. I knew sci-fi horror, and that's it. So it is kind of a fun surprise. Although then you see right in the credits based on Space Vampires, so you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) So yeah, it might as well a title that's Space Although, yeah, you don't go see a movie based on what's in the sixth credit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think I missed that. That's in the opening? Yeah, yeah, opening credits. I missed it. Yeah, but <clears throat> again, mixed negative reviews, but Gene Siskel notably called it a guilty pleasure and gave it three out of four stars. It had a big budget of $25 million, which is about $70 million in today's dollars. That's wow. nothing to sneeze at, but yep. the box office uh, on that $25 million budget was only $11.6 million. It was fourth place on its opening weekend and considered a disappointment. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, the actors I, in here are not very notable. Oh, go ahead. You you had something to say on that topic. Oh, with the, with the Rotten Tomatoes score, uh, do you get the sense that a lot of the more positive ones have come out like in like the past few decades versus like when, upon its original release? I didn't read the reviews, but I do get that sense from what I've heard. It's become a bit of a cult classic, even though it wasn't well received at the time. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's going up. I imagine it doesn't help when the author of the book isn't. Big into the movie because there's probably some like sci-fi nerds who were like, "Ooh, I'm gonna see this movie because I I actually read that book." And then to hear the author diss it, they might be like, "Oh, I'm not interested anymore." Yeah, Ah, that seems to happen a lot. Uh, I want to say a few Stephen King movies were like that, where he wasn't like too thrilled about the translation. Is that right? Does that sound familiar? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, famously, he was not thrilled with The Shining. Right. Yeah. The Shining. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know. Sometimes, like if you're a big enough fan of the director, like you're, that's who you're rooting for, and you're, you're gonna go out and see it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think when The Shining came out, Stephen King had hit it big with Carrie a few years earlier, but it wasn't like he was this giant name. People, yeah, people went and saw it, not because it was a Stephen King film. Yeah. Do you think people, uh, when this film came out, uh, Toby Hooper was like a big enough name where people were drawn to uh, his work? I'm going to say I don't think so, Um, but I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, Texas Chainsaw had just come out the year before, so it's possible. I mean, a box office of $11.6 that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that's probably like $30 in today's dollars, so Mm -hmm. people went and saw it. Yeah. Even today, though, I don't feel like Toby Hooper is like at a John Carpenter level or um, the Wes Craven level, like when you think about like top horror directors like how many people out there like saying toby toby hooper is he i think he, i think he is i think he's mentioned in the top five or ten i don't think he's mentioned in the first two or three. Oh, okay okay though some people might might say so i think the problem might be that he's got texas chainsaw he's got poltergeist everything other than that that i've seen i've enjoyed it but i mean it's kind of a step down yeah i, yeah. I think carpenter has more movies that people think are are classic yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think they're like four or five directors I would put of like would be more like of a familiar name versus uh, Toby Hooper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the young ones today, the the farther we get and the longer we do this podcast, you know, more and more horror fans aren't quite as in touch with these these older directors. Sure. Sure. Um, I think the actors are not very recognizable. Um, the most acclaimed actors in the film include Frank Finlay, who plays Falada. Finlay was nominated for an Academy Award for his performance in 1965's Othello. He was in Roman Polanski's The Pianist. Uh, he also had a big career as a stage actor, but the most recognizable face is, of course, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. And you will know him either as John Luke Picard in Star Trek The Next Generation or as Professor X in the X-Men film series. It was crazy to see him, like a young Patrick Stewart. Well, <laughs> he's not like that young, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those people who is like, you, dude, you looked the same when you were <laughs> yeah, 30 as you do when you're 90. <laughs> I kept thinking like one of the younger guys in this film was Patrick Stewart, and I was like trying to like put his face there, and then like, oh, yeah, pops up like halfway through. <laughs> then you see oh. him, and you're like, oh, well, that's fucking Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah, he looks exactly the same. <laughs> that couldn't be more Patrick Stewart. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, this movie... If you're uh, curious, I know there are some listeners 
who kind of listen to our background discussion beforehand to decide whether or not they want to watch the movie, even though we don't do any ratings or anything like that at the top half of the show. Some of you may be interested to know that there is a naked woman on screen for a good chunk of this movie. <laughs> a lot of nudity. I did not quite see that coming. Yeah. Same. I almost watched this on a plane one day, and I'm really glad that I didn't. Oh, man. <laughs> that would have been quite the sight, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, Matilda May is naked for a good chunk of of the runtime, and yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think there was a little bit of flirtation with like, are we gonna are we gonna make this R rating? I mean, I don't think it would be considered for anything above an R today, but there's full frontal nudity for quite a lot of this. Yeah, like blatant. Yeah. Which, uh, was there a genre in, like, the 80s of, like, these sci-fi or horror films where it's just, like, uh, yeah, naked women and, and like, uh, and that's, like, kind of, like, the draw of the film? Uh, I, I kind of feel like I've seen, like, a bunch of covers of, like, movies, like, from that time period where this was kind of, like, the vibe of it. Uh, do, do, do you recall that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there was plenty of nudity around this time but maybe it was just like so i think there were oftentimes just like quick flashes of nudity and not so much Mm. like okay this entire shot contains nudity sure also i'm realizing as you said 80s i'm like oh i said texas chainsaw was just a few years earlier i think i maybe even said it was the year before this for some reason i was thinking this was 1975 but this is a movie from 1985 85 right brain fart right um but yeah, I was surprised too to hear them make such a big deal about the the nudity because you know there's nudity in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of all over. I, I I think there was like a genre of like horror films that were like I remember when we talked about Friday the Thirteenth at one point. Uh, obviously, like those earlier ones had a lot of nudity, and um, I remember I think Joseph was like a guest on a show like saying like this is yeah in the eighties that was a big draw of these movies as he'd go to see like nudity potentially. Sure. Yeah. Blood and boobs, I think yeah. a lot of people think of it as. Sure. Um, boy, I think the only other movie we've watched with like extended woman just walking around naked for this much of the runtime was uh, My Bloody Valentine remake from 2009, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that was she, kind of funny. Yeah, the hotel scene or something? Yeah, yep. Right. Anyway, yep. back to... Uh, <laughs> Non-nudity-based things. <laughs> yeah, people... I assume Henry Mancini had clothes on as he composed the score. Uh, he's a big name, you know? Some of the biggest names on this movie are not the actors. So Mancini has four Academy Awards, a Golden Globe, and 20 Grammy Awards, plus a posthumous Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, wow. He wrote the song Moon River for from... Oh, um, cool. Oh, Breakfast shit. at Tiffany's. There you go. Thank you. And he wrote the Pink Panther theme, among many other scores. Uh, oh, I love that theme. Yeah. Um, some of the crew, uh, the special visual effects were done by John Dykstra, who was one of the original employees of Industrial Light and Magic. He was the special effects lead on the original Star Wars uh, and won an Academy Award for that. He also won an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects for Spider-Man 2 from 2004, and he won an Academy Award for Technical Achievement for the invention of a certain type of camera that was named the Dykstra Flex camera. That's really cool. Yeah, and then the special effects makeup artist. There's a lot of Star Wars connections here. The special mm-hmm. makeup effects was done by... Uh, the lead there was Nick Maley, who is known for his work on Yoda in the Star Wars film series. 
He also worked on films like Superman, Superman 2, and Highlander. And then the cinematography was done by Alan Hume, who filmed Return of the Jedi. Oh, cool. Star Wars all over this thing. Yeah. I wonder if in, in the 80s, like, just everyone in Hollywood worked on a Star Wars. That was kind of a big thing. Well, I guess the, that was, like, 70s, right? Yeah, Star yeah. Wars. I think the first Star Wars was, phew, shit, 1978. People are yeah. going to get pissed, but that's Probably, my guess. Yeah. Got it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. A lot of uh, sci-fi going into this. Yeah. Uh, any other background info that you want to share? Um, you know, you mentioned it's based on a book. I also saw somewhere that it was a remake of a movie called Quartermass in the Pit, a hammer horror film. Uh, I, yeah, have you, are you familiar with that film at all? Yeah, and also I think it's Quartermass. I don't know how you pronounce it, but there's no R in there. I always want oh, to put an R in there. Thanks. I don't know if it's Quartermass or what. Those are yeah. movies on my watch list, but I haven't seen them yet. Okay. Uh, the impression I got from there was like the story was roughly similar. It's not actually a remake of it. Oh, Cooper okay. was like, oh, I, I get $25 million. I'm going to like do what I kind of want to do and make an homage to uh, Hammer films. Like go back to my roots with I'm going to make a Hammer film. So yeah. that kind of implied, yeah, maybe he was taking inspiration from that. I can see a bit of an aura of Hammer films around this whole thing. Sure. Uh, just just a similarity in, in the uh, the spirit of it all. Sure. Yeah, some influence going on here. Yeah. Um, the other thing I found really interesting, going back to people without clothes, uh, Matilda May, who plays, I think that's her name, right? Who plays the woman who we see uh, nude for most of the film. I think uh, this was maybe her first or second film, and she didn't know English here, so I think a lot of it, what, what she says... Uh, she had to like kind of learn phonetically. Yeah, I think her her lines were a bit of a challenge for her because there was a language barrier. Yeah, really cool. I, yeah, French actress, I guess. Yes. So uh, pretty pretty neat. Yeah, and apparently they they had to search far and wide for someone who was willing to be completely <laughs> naked for this long on screen. Sorry, really? we're talking so much about nudity, everybody. But uh, this I mean, it's, a, it's hard not to in this movie. It's, it's like a big plot point, an important yeah. part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. It really shapes this film. It does. Uh, anything else, or should we hit the Ohio Connection? Uh, yeah, no, that's all the background I have. All right. Our Ohio Connection, as always, is done by Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in Ohio, Northeast Ohio especially, swing by Jukebox. It's a great neighborhood place, great food and great drinks. And Alex says... Light Force is a science fiction horror film directed by Toby Hooper about the events that unfold after a European space shuttle discovers humanoids in the hold of an alien spaceship. After a breakdown in communication, the space shuttle deploys its escape pod, later discovered with one passenger, in Texas. Escape pods are an emergency capsule used to escape a vessel in the case of an emergency. They have been portrayed throughout pop culture, perhaps most notably by R2-D2 and C-3PO in Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. Additionally, in the 1974 film Air Force One, U.S. President James Marshall pretends to have escaped a presidential aircraft after a terrorist hijacking by using an escape pod. Portions of Air Force One's opening sequence were filmed at Severance Hall and the Cuyahoga County Courthouse, two locations in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh my God. Nice job. (laughs) That's awesome. Had to work hard for that one, and we get yet another Star Wars tie-in. Yeah. Yeah, that's all over this. Uh, oh man! Wait. So does that mean Air Force One, this uh, which is a plane, has a escape pod? Uh, theoretically, I don't know. Maybe they just had it for the movie. Yeah, that's crazy. Cool. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, man. You ready to do the plot, spoil some stuff, and walk through it, and then review it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. You, you know what, though? Uh, before we keep going, I ordered some late-night food, and I think it just got here. You mind if I go get the door? Sure, go for it. All right, I'll be right back. All right. Okay, man, I'm back. Cool. What'd you get? Uh, I got a pizza. It was really weird. The pizza guy was at the door, and I wanted to pay him. But when I asked him how much, he refused to tell me. I really had to rough him up a little bit just to get the info out of him. <laughs> and I think it was okay because he was like kind of enjoying it. He was <laughs> like into it. Sometimes you just got to follow your instincts, you know? If you got to rough someone up, <laughs> you just got to Sometimes somebody that's what wants they want. to be roughed up. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes they don't even know they want to be roughed up until you start <laughs> yeah, roughing Yeah, until up. you just start doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that's is a them. particularly strange scene in the movie that we'll get to soon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So this film opens, this is a weird, wild movie. It is. The film film opens with a crew of a space vessel called the Churchill, under the command of Colonel Tom Carlson, approaching Halley's Comet to study it for scientific research. To the crew's surprise, their radar picks up a large ship, two miles tall and 150 miles long, at the head of Halley's Comet. Some of the crew exits their vessel to board this mysterious ship. Uh, some things that struck me are the intro credits are just like 80 sci-fi to a T. Mm-hmm. And the exteriors of like outer space and the ship are very like 80s computer imaging to the point sure. that it kind of looks like a cartoon. And Did you feel yeah. the same way? Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, the, the visuals here are like, yeah, so 80s. Uh, so like computer generated you can tell like I, I i don't even know it's almost like they're not uh what are you watching like models here of things like moving on on a screen or something yeah like not, not even like models like miniatures like yeah like a model like <laughs> astronaut like an, <laughs> just like yeah like push. a computer program where you can build little models and yeah then oh, yeah. when the astronauts float from one ship to another they are just like completely <laughs> motionless moving across the screen <laughs> It looks really bad when they the it astronauts does. exit the ship and float through space. It does, yeah. Part of me, though, is like, this is the 80s, so I don't want to be critical of it, and uh, kudos on them. Like, it's kind of cool and, and a fun aesthetic, but I don't know. Do you, what, do you, what do you think? Like, do you feel like it falls short, or it's uh, it's interesting? I think it falls short. As I was going through the background, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, Academy Award winner John Dykstra worked on this, and... Everybody on Star Wars like worked on this. Maybe yeah. it was just my uh, it hit my eye wrong or something. But hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah, confirmed. It, it wasn't that good. I think maybe we were in a place where we were in between entirely practicals and we thought we could do some things with computers and it just didn't turn out. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, some yeah, of the I, effects in this movie are really good, but those ones are not. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, so they find a vast and cavernous enclosure that looks almost cave-like that that is this ship with giant bat-like creatures in it that look to be dead but they also find three nude humanoid bodies two men and one woman sealed in transparent enclosures 
they decide to take one of the bat-like creatures and the three humanoid bodies aboard their ship for further investigation. And when the astronauts encounter these three human bodies, um, they're not sure if they're alive or dead, but they, they seem almost hypnotized at times as they look upon these bodies. And it's hard to tell if they really are hypnotized or if they're just super horny <laughs> over this beautiful naked woman. I think it's a latter because one's like, I've been in space for like how many years? And like, yeah, she looks incredible or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> no one was making comments about the men at all. No, like, they weren't. And the men are not really shown at all. Like, I don't think you really see a penis in this movie. Oh, no, yeah. Can't but, show a penis. Yeah, right. Uh, and and it's kind of funny the dynamic here because one of the astronauts is a woman, and I can yeah I, I think I I get the sense here that like she's like well yeah these guys whatever, uh like she, she she's like in in one year out the other right. I would have liked to have had a scene with her looking at the dudes and being like hi Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, I know that's what this movie was missing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the film transitions to 30 days into the future in some sort of mission control room and we learn that the last time any communications came from the ship was 30 days ago so a team has been sent to find the ship dock on it and enter it to discover what happened this is very similar to the film Event Horizon which we've previously discussed as far as this plot point is concerned uh, so similar to that film, they this crew, this rescue crew, boards the ship to discover that something has gone very wrong. There was some sort of fire or mass destruction on the ship that killed everyone on board. They find all the dead bodies. However, they do find a small nook of the ship that contains these three humanoid aliens that are still in their transparent enclosures and are completely unharmed by the damage that killed everyone else on board. Again, they're not sure if they're dead, alive, in some form of suspended animation or what, but they take the bodies back to Earth for further investigation, where one of the medical staff becomes so entranced by the woman's body that he tries to remove the cover that's been draped over her naked body. And as he reaches for her, she wakes up and approaches him for a kiss, but the kiss turns deadly as the room fills with bolts of what seems like electricity as the woman sucks the man's life force from his body Hence the term, the title, Life Force. What did you think of all this up until now? Uh, really intriguing. Like, I had no idea where this was going. And it's interesting because you keep seeing, uh, it keeps, like, zooming in on the faces of, like, these people that they found in, like, this woman. And I feel like every time it zooms in on her, you keep expecting something to happen. And uh, so far, like, nothing has happened. But finally, like, she wakes up. And so uh, I, I like the suspense they built around, like, what's going to happen here, how she's going to react. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be a positive thing. But uh, it's cool to see, like, it finally come to fruition and things happen. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I was really intrigued and into what, what I was seeing here. What about you? Yeah, it kind of has a bit of an autopsy of Jane Doe vibe where you're just kind of looking at this seemingly dead naked woman uh, on like a slab and you're like, is something going to happen? Is she yeah. going to wake up? Is she going to move? What What's going on? Exactly. Um, yeah, I was intrigued too. It, it, nothing's wowing me or anything, but it's an intriguing premise. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right, like a very like event horizon, like, oh, we found this ship. We don't know what's happened. So I, I like that setup. That That's kind of cool. Yeah. The rest of the staff, uh, the hospital staff, or whatever kind of medical facility they're at, maybe like Space Research Center, it's all very vague, like what locations they're at through this movie yeah. or who is who, like what 
what these officials are. I think At least it the, was for me. I think it's the British uh, hierarchy of uh, government, which we don't Yeah, understand. maybe that's why it confuses me. <laughs> different units of measurement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so they find this guy's body, like, ghoulishly reduced to little more than a skeleton. He, he kind of was, like, all shriveled up and stuff. And the girl is now on the loose, zapping dudes left and right with electricity energy and or draining their life force. There's no actual electricity, but the on-screen representation of her, like, stealing life forces or using force against somebody kind of looks a lot like electricity. Right. Um, as one of the officials asks another, like, hey, how did you let the girl escape? He says, she was the most overwhelming feminine presence I've ever encountered. <laughs> yeah. Then he asks, was it sexual? And he says, yes, overwhelmingly so, and horrible. <laughs> I just thought that dialogue was so funny to me. Yeah. I, you know, I, I thought this was like a really cool sequence because here she is, uh, a naked woman, just like using her sexuality and like everyone like she's encountering are men that are just like falling to her uh, charm or whatever and are like powerless against her. And I, I thought it was a cool expression of, like, uh, feminine power to, like, how she, like, gets out of there and just, like, kind of takes everyone down. What, what, do, do, I, it kind of gave me a sense that's where, like, the movie was going, like, showing, like, how powerful, like, this this woman who's, uh, yeah, is in this, like, world full of men. But w- did you get that at all? It's a little bit like Species in a way as well. Dude, I got, yeah. I kept thinking of Species, and I really want to go back and watch that again. But Yeah, right? Yeah. Do you um, think there was, like, a gender dynamic at play here? I don't think, I think you could interpret it that way these days. I don't think that was really the goal in Ladies. what was created here. Honestly, when reading the book, it really kind of feels like this guy just wanted to like live vicariously through the main ca- character and like have a bunch of random sexual encounters and be preyed upon by a naked alien. And oh, man. Yeah. It's just like, oh, okay. This like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It, it has a weird feel to it where it's Got just it. like a, a dude living out of fantasy through a story. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm uh, being insulting or, or psychoanalyzing nah. Colin Wilson too much. I can see that angle in this movie, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, oh. I, I, yeah, you could interpret it like that if you want to be generous. Yeah. The other thing, did you find it repetitive on her escape from this lab? Like, it's it was almost, like, twice. Like, first she takes on the, the one guard, and the one guy sees it on TV and, like, runs in, and then he gets taken out, and then someone else saw it on TV, and they we get a sequence of them running in. Uh, did you feel like it got a little repetitive? Uh, I didn't, but there's some stuff in this movie that does feel... The editing... I don't. I call it editing. I don't know if it's stuff that happens in the editor's room. Really, it's maybe more the direction, but or the the story itself. It's just like we're seeing too much of the same thing over and over again, sure. or like we saw way too much screen time just to accomplish one thing, or a bunch of stuff happened in like three seconds of screen time, and we yeah. needed a little bit more. Like There's some pacing issues. It's a very uneven movie. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, but basically, this this lady vampire can uh, not only suck people's life force, but she can get dudes to succumb to to her will by basically just being supernaturally seduct- seductive to like, you know, get them to come come to her so she can kiss them, and it's essentially a kiss of death. There's an expert of pathology uh, among our group of officials here uh, named Falada, 
who opines that a person's life force is conserved even after death, and he thinks this woman is draining people's life forces and is essentially a kind of vampire. So we kind of already know that just from watching the movie and and knowing that this is called Space Vampires, but he explains that to the other characters. Um, what do you think of this thing so far? Like, it's, it's cool. I, you know, I, I hadn't put that vampire thing together. I think I missed it in the in the credits. So hearing like, oh, that, okay, gotcha. Yeah, hearing that hearing that term brought up here in like the sci-fi movie, uh, I, I thought like, holy shit, I've never heard of like a vampire from space. Like how imaginative and, and crazy. And and I liked Flada at all. Actually these three characters, it's like Flada, uh the one guy who's like a detective. Colonel Kane. Colonel Kane, yeah. Like they're they're all approaching this like with a very like scientific and like criminal uh approach. Uh, to kind of contain and like kind of figure problem solve this and like figure out what's going on. I, I like these characters kind of working together and like their, their discussions or in dialogue with each other. I, I kind of enjoyed. So uh, I, I was in for this ride. What, what were you thinking? Yeah, I was having a hard time like connecting with any characters or like even keeping up with who was who and like what their role was. Um, may have been just my own failure of. of paying attention or being perceptive but uh i enjoyed what was happening in the movie i I thought especially once she starts sucking people's energy it's just a spectacle so i was enjoying the spectacle of it all me too and it turns into kind of like um uh a chase right where they're like trying to hunt her down or like find where she is and like they're like she's like outsmarting them so uh yeah, I think the movie takes like a fun turn, and then we're like also kind of like learning what like her powers are and like what what they're doing to people. Yes, so yeah. I, I feel like as an audience, you're, you're kind of like digesting and learning. It's kind of a mystery at this point. It is a little bit of a mystery, like what's going on, what's her goal, like right. Yeah, it all unfolds. So we check in with our two dude vampires who are still under observation and seemingly in suspended animation or asleep or dead or whatever. Um, but unlike the seductive female vampire who comes to life slowly, these two come to life in like an explosion of energy. Two guards empty a whole bunch of bullets into them and finally thwart them by blowing them up with grenades. I was really hoping one of these guards would be revealed as gay by being seduced by one of these <laughs> I know, guys. Me too. <laughs> there, there were just a lot of opportunities for that to happen. And I was yeah. like, gah, it's right there. Just like do yeah, it. Just, yeah, that would have been a really fun scene. Yeah. So the movie starts to get uh, really insane, in my opinion, when they're studying the guy's body who first died from the the lady vampire's kiss. And his, like, totally decayed, semi-skeletal body comes back to life and sucks the life force from someone in the room. He then turns back into himself and is terrified and unsure of what's going on. And so after this, they realize that these people who had their life force drained by the vampires... They come back to life in exactly two hours and try to drain others of their life force. So it's almost like a disease that spreads. Yeah. What do you think of that twist? That was cool. Uh, really neat. I think this one thing I don't understand is it seems like life force, there's a finite amount of it. So either you get drained of it and then you pull it from someone else and now you have it and then you get drained and give it to someone else. Um, but uh yeah or is it like like a zombie thing where it's just like infinitely you can spread it uh, that, that's one thing i was really confused about so the, the two hour thing is interesting but then uh two hours later you come back but it requires you to like suck the life force from someone right yes yeah because we we soon learn that like you can't you can't stay that way 
if you can't get another life force. So right. I think it drains your life force. In two hours, you can restore enough life force to like bring you back uh, nominally. And then, is that the word I'm looking for? Like You're kind of back, but if you can't get more life force from somebody else, you're going to die. Oh, okay, got it. So then like three hours, you're, you're just dead then? Yeah, maybe not even three. It's like two hours and five minutes or something. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, got it. Um, we also learn of the female vampire's approximate whereabouts as officials question. <laughs> this is funny. They question two random dudes in the park who find a woman's decomposed body. So these witnesses in the park let us know that they saw the deceased woman with another woman who was completely naked. And the dudes basically say, we saw them with each other and uh, one of them was naked. So we hung around because we thought they might do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Pretty honest, oh, guys. <laughs> basically just peeping toms. Yeah. Um, and we learn more about the rules of these vampires as we were just discussing. So after they take this woman's body back to headquarters, the, the woman they find deceased in the park, and they strap it down, after two hours it comes back to life. And that really reminded me of the the zombie like skeleton zombie that they strap down in Return of the Living Dead. Because oh, yeah. when she comes back to life, it's like, kind of creepy and yeah she shocking pretty, yeah she looks good yeah yeah i think i think she, that, that was a scare the the guard the previous guard who came back i thought that looked kind of janky uh not mm. like very effective but yeah I, I think this woman coming back like th- those are good visuals yeah i thought she looked good it was good practical effects good makeup effects right um so yeah they they take her back and after two hours she comes back to life but then when she can't suck anyone's life force she explodes into dust uh, and then two more bodies that are also under surveillance ever ha- after having their life force sucked. Uh, they also, like, after those two hours, just evaporate. Um, and I thought that was actually pretty cool. We see one of they're like, one of them is locked in a prison cell, and we see one of them, like, he comes back to life and runs at the prison bars he's enclosed in, and then he just hits the bars and explodes into a cloud of dust. Yeah, so, that's really neat. After some of those janky visual effects at the beginning, we're starting to see some of the practical effects in practice here, and I think they're pretty cool. I think they're pretty good, yeah. I agree. So now the officials know roughly how these vampires work, uh, but they stand to gain even more information when they learn that the Churchill's escape pod has just re-entered Earth's atmosphere above Texas. The Churchill is that, that ship from the beginning that found the vampires in the first place, but had its entire crew die... Uh, or so we thought. So someone's here in this escape pod, and we soon this- discover that it's Colonel Tom Carlson, who survived the ordeal on the Churchill by escaping in the pod. And upon his return to Earth, he's questioned by authorities as to exactly what went on with the Churchill. He explains that after they found these three naked bodies on that mysterious vessel and brought them on board, the crew started slowly dying one by one. And he says he knew the alien humanoid bodies were somehow causing it, but he couldn't figure out how. So he arranged for the ship to self-destruct so the aliens wouldn't be brought back to unleash this mysterious plague on Earth. And he confesses to them that leaving this woman behind was the hardest thing he ever had to do. Uh, like, basically, he had strong feelings about her. Um, and he it implies that he was being seduced and possibly slowly killed by her too, but he got out of there before it was too late. Mm-hmm. And at that editing thing I was talking about, there's a good example here because there's a scene of him engaging the self-destruct element of the ship. 
And it's just like two minutes of him running through hallways pulling identical levers. <laughs> he pulls like six or seven big levers, and then the scene ends with him like flicking a switch, which is essentially <laughs> like a this, tiny lever. Yeah. <laughs> Game of it, levers. Yeah. For I don't know. Something about this movie felt like it'd be a good candidate for Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, sure. Just like comment on it. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I, I could really hear them being like, all right, here's the self-destruct lever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and this one. Oh, forgot about this one. <laughs> it's a got, light off. Yeah, got to exactly. do this one too. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Which I, you know, I, I think a lot of this movie is like focused on like the aesthetic and individuals versus like any kind of logic uh, or like rationale. It's just about like these like funny sets set designs yeah sure maybe it was just an excuse to run through that set (laughs) yeah um officials soon discover that the alien vessel that was in Haley's comet is now approaching earth uh so basically the vampire mothership is coming coming to earth someone says well uh vampires of legend used to bring their earth with them in their coffins so maybe that's what they're doing too like having their mothership meeting them like bringing their earth with them Couldn't decide if that was an interesting thing to throw in or not. Um, It's also kind of meaningless, but they try to squeeze some vampire lore in here and apply it to the aliens. Like, what do you think about that? Is it unnecessary or is it interesting? Uh, I thought it was interesting because I I never think about vampires from space. And yeah, we're so familiar with like one version of vampires. And it's cool to see how they apply that to, yeah, this idea that vampires might be from, like, they were on Earth, like, a long time ago. And, yeah, this is, like, kind of how they travel in, like, the coma of a comet, which I didn't even know there was a part of a comet called a coma. Uh, so, yeah, for me, this was all, like, I was, I was like, taking notes. Like, oh, this is cool, new territory of, about vampires. I'm, I'm learning so much. I was, I was into it. What, what did you think? All right, cool. I thought it was, I couldn't decide if it was, like, oh, this is fascinating or, like, oh, this is, like, kind of cheesy but uh but yeah yeah um there's more of that coming (laughs) meanwhile our boy carlson from the churchill while sleeping has a dream that the lady vampire is seducing him and that they're making love upon waking from the dream he's at first relieved to know it was just a dream but then becomes clear to him that she has invaded his mind and is draining his life energy that way and then we get a plot point that's become kind of a sci-fi or fantasy trope that if she's connected with his mind, then maybe he can connect to her mind. And he uses this connection against her to pinpoint her location on Earth, but she's got a different face now, and her name is Ellen. So our characters discovered that, to their shock, that Ellen and the vampire are in one mind. And we see what Carlson sees in his vision via his mental connection with her. We see this woman, Ellen, seducing a man while they drive in his car. And, uh... What they deduce from this is that the lady vampire has hidden her original body somewhere and is now in this woman Ellen's body. And speaking of genre cliches, we also learn that this guy who gave Ellen a ride dropped her off at an asylum for the criminally insane. <laughs> now they're just like packing things in. They're just like, hey, you're just throwing stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the wall. Into this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's presumably going to turn a bunch of insane criminals into vampires. My note originally was, how is that more dangerous than anyone else being turned into a vampire? I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But after reading the book, the reason for the asylum for the criminally insane being evolved is essentially due to the state of their minds being very easy to overcome and particularly suited for this sort of vampiric invasion. Oh, that's an interesting rationale. Yeah, the book goes a little bit more into the ideas of like, 
taking and leaving energy and like everyone's kind of or taking and giving energy and like everyone's kind of a vampire and like sexual sexual relationships especially are vampires and yeah. sadism and masochism are all elements of like the vampirism spectrum it doesn't do a it's kind of a weak theme in my opinion um but it, it justifies some of what happens in the movie where you're just like, wait, what? Why yeah. did that even happen? <laughs> um, at, at this point in the movie, though, I, I just felt like it was so jam-packed with ideas. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad that it, it was starting to feel a little bit messy. Oh, for sure. But did you feel that way, too? Yeah, man. I mean, this movie, I, I just feel like uh, it's absurd in a way, like the plot yes. line and like what's happening or the rationale behind what's going on. Like, uh, you, you got to just like drop like all logic or any like sense of explanation uh, if you're watching this film. It's absurd and it's a little bit messy. It's yeah. just like, wait, who? What are we doing now? And <laughs> exactly. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> here comes a scene uh, I just did not understand at all. Yeah. But did you want to fit something in first? Uh, oh, I thought there was one thing uh, you mentioned. But no, no, I'm good. Keep going. Okay. So they find this woman, Ellen, and Carlson tries to access her mind through his newfound telepathic connection with the vampire. And he learns that this woman, Ellen, Ellen wants him to force the truth out of her. She's a masochist and is getting turned on as Carlson roughs her up. And then the other dude, he like asks him he i think he asked colonel kane like hey this might get like weird do you want to leave <laughs> and kane says and i quote i'm a natural voyeur yeah. <laughs> so he just sits there and makes himself comfortable as carlson is like smacking this woman around and pulling her hair and like ripping off her clothes and she's clearly getting turned on by it <laughs> <laughs> it's so strange. And then he so determines strange. that the vampire's consciousness is already gone from her mind. Yeah. So this is essentially just a woman who wanted to be roughed up by a stranger. Oh, is that what it came down to? Yeah. I thought somehow uh, he got like he got something out of roughing her up. Like he figured out like where it's gone, right? I, th- I do think he found out where it has gone. But the vampire consciousness wasn't in there at all. Like she didn't know she knew. <laughs> I think just like an echo of it was in there. So she didn't know she was like keeping anything from him. She was just like, oh, this guy's asking me questions. I'm not going to answer in the hopes that he rust me up a bit. I guess it was his lucky day that she was oh actually Oh my gosh, it. it's so strange. And in the book, it makes a little more sense just because it's hammering home the themes about like sadists or energy uh, givers and masochists or energy taker or... Yeah, say it. Whatever you know, what I'm trying to say. Basically, like S and M, she's willing to give some of her energy. Like, yeah, like S and M is part of the vampiric balance that exists in all things. Yeah, is like what the book is trying to say. Gotcha. Okay. Like okay. we all give each other energy and take each other's energy as part of the natural dance yeah. of life. Got it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That's it. And like change. eating other things and sex and it's all tied into that. Got in it. The book. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That the I feel like a lot of that doesn't come through in the movie. It does not at all. It, it makes the movie really confusing because it tries to take some of these things from the novel and just doesn't flesh them out. Sure. Sure. Um, I feel like uh, Carlson is that his name? The the main dude, the astronaut. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he his the introduction of his character, this mental link that he has, how he becomes like the one chasing, and like has these connections with like he can like. I don't know, he, like, touches people and, like, can feel their memories and stuff. I think he becomes kind of, uh, out of, like, everything that's very illogical about this film, 
his like he was like the hardest for me to digest like what is his angle like how does he have all these gifts and he can just like kind of see where this vampire is at all times what are the limitations of it how does it all work and i think they try to explain some of it but i i struggle still with like the rules of his character do you, do you understand it fully it's very confusing and also his character is just like gone from the movie from like he's in the first like five minutes and then gone from like the next 20 or 25 right yeah then he's back and you're like oh okay like i guess this guy's the main character yeah, I had a hard time keeping up. Just like, what can, yeah, what is the connection? What can this guy do? Who yeah. is this guy again? Like, is he in danger? Uh, yeah. What are, what are these like night dreams he has of, of him? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, doing it with this person. It's like, should we be worried about him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's strange. But I, yeah. I, is, he, is he the main, like, who would you say is the he's main the character? He's the main character. He is. He yeah. is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, and he's yeah. very much the main character in the novel. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, just like his main character, he's he's hard to follow. Yeah, it's kind of like him and Colonel Kane are the main characters. Yeah. But Kane is like a throwaway character in the novel. He's barely mentioned, and Falada Uh, is like the go-to guy. It's basically Falada and Carlson. Oh, I see. On the journey. Falada is an expert at pathology, but he's only in this movie just like on the sidelines to give information about his theory. He's basically explaining the plot and the themes and like... Yeah. how these are vampires to you every once in a while. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Cause Falada, like, uh, I, I feel like he's like easy to understand. He's like scientific. He's approaching it in like a very metho- methodological, metho- methodological, methodical, methodical. <laughs> yeah. approach. Whereas like, uh, yeah, Carlson's just got like this gift suddenly that he can just like do like break these boundaries and do these like kind of wild things that, uh, he's, he's hard to keep track of. Yeah, and some of these gifts, I think, are kind of explained in the last few pages of the novel that I'm just getting to, and I'll, <laughs> I'll spoil that later just in case anyone wants to read the book. I'll, I'll put the spoiler Sounds warning good. in. All right. Um, who's going to want to read this book? <laughs> <laughs> it, it appears that in that roughing up scene, um, maybe Carlson uh, was able to glean the physical identity of the person the vampire consciousness has been transferred to, and it's someone in the asylum. So the gang goes to this asylum for the criminally insane, as it's called in the movie, and meets with the head doctor, played by Patrick Stewart, and says, hey, we're looking for a guy who matches so-and-so physical description. And the doctor's going to take them to this guy and get a tranquilizer ready to subdue him. But in a surprise twist, Carlson grabs the injection and puts it into Patrick Stewart, uh, revealing that it's actually Dr. Armstrong that Carlson saw in the vision of who is now possessed, uh, who the vampire's consciousness now resides in. Did you see that twist coming? Did not see that twist coming, but that was kind of a fun little yeah. treat. I know. I enjoyed that. that so, yeah, did you think he just saw the guy and was like, oh, this is the guy, but I'm going to make up another physical description? Uh, was that your know. read? Oh, I didn't think about it. I, I assumed they both maybe, but huh. How would he have seen the guy? I guess because he roughed her up, so he got to like into like some of her memories. I guess. Yeah. And just yeah. use that as a interesting. So yeah, what happens right. in the book is he, it is definitely in that guy, and they're there at the hospital for like a full day. But then by the time they're ready to trank him the next day, Carlson senses it's now shifted. Oh yeah. Like they figured it out, and he like escaped that. The vampire escaped that guy's body and jumped into Doctor Armstrong. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if that was what was supposed to happen in the movie or if in the movie 
the dude Carlson knew all along and just made up something else just so he would go get a tranquilizer. <laughs> yeah, get this ready. Yeah, yeah. I, I assumed at one point that guy was, uh, uh, like, what would you call it, possessed? Yeah, yeah. I think okay. possessed is fair. Okay. Um, they take Dr. Armstrong, played by Patrick Stewart, to a private room in the hospital and strap him down, and he begins to speak in the voice of the female vampire, which is kind of cool. And she reveals to Carlson that she essentially looked in his mind as he approached the ship and found his ideal feminine form, and that's the form she took. So basically, these aliens travel around the universe shape-shifting into whatever form they need to in order to get in with a civilization and seduce them and drain them of their life force. Um, Patrick Stewart's image now alternates between his own and the woman's, and Carlson is seduced into kissing him, her, Fun fact, this is Patrick Stewart's first on-screen kiss. No, in general or with the men? In general. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Uh, so she tries to suck his life force. You know, the room is filling with lightning bolts, as it has in other scenes in the movie. Uh, Carlson is able to resist, and in the exchange of their minds, he learns that the vampirism is still spreading um, elsewhere. So him and Colonel Kane deduce that this this whole asylum detour may have been a distraction to get them away from London, where the vampirism could be spreading exponentially from the two male vampires, who we previously thought were dead. So they get on a chopper to fly Stuart's body back to London, as well as the body of one of their companions who was killed in the lightning exchange between Carlson and Stuart, or I mean Carlson and Dr. Armstrong slash the vampire. And in the chopper... We learn via communication with headquarters that the two male vampires left their bodies when their guards threw grenades at them earlier in the film, and they shifted to the bodies of the guards. And our pathology expert Falada tells Carlson and Kane that he managed to kill one of them, but the other escaped. And the one that he killed, he says he killed the old-fashioned way, a, loaded, a leaded metal shaft, not through the heart, but two inches below the heart through the body's energy center. Does it seem kind of lame to you that it's so similar to how you kill vampires in legend, but like slightly different? Like instead of wood, it's lead, and oh. instead of the heart, it's two inches below the heart? You know, I, I didn't put that together. I, I, what is this uh, energy center of the body? I've, I've never heard of that concept. Have you? I don't know. I feel like part of me is like, is that like chakras and like yoga or whatever? Like, yeah. Do you think they're just trying to be different? I think they're just trying to be different. Like, instead of stabbing them with a wooden stake in the heart, you stab them with, like, a lead sword two inches below the heart. It's wow. just like, yeah. <laughs> why bother? The book didn't have that, so the screenwriters came up with that. Oh, okay. A slightly different material, a slightly different location. It just seemed kind of lame. Yeah. Makes sense. We get some more vampire information when Falada says, It is my belief that vampires of legend came from creatures such as these, perhaps even these very creatures. And Carlson, who, like you know, has this psychic connection now, says it's more than a belief. It's true. They visited Earth before. So basically, I mean, that's kind of a cool nugget. All of our vampire legends are based on the fact that ages and ages ago, these creatures came here. And and that's where all the legends came from. Right. Yeah. That's a cool, a cool aspect. I like but that. But somehow in the legend, <laughs> these kisses turned into bites and the leaded metal became wood and then two inches below the heart became the heart yeah things <laughs> the new heart then one of the craziest scenes of the movie happens so they're they're in this helicopter with the bodies of dr armstrong 
and this other guy. And blood just starts rocketing from every orifice of the faces of Dr. Armstrong and this dude who are on stretchers in the helicopter. And the blood congeals in midair to form the face of the lady vampire. She says Carlson's name and then collapses into a pile of blood and gore on the floor. <laughs> that was wild, right? Yeah, I thought that was like one of the best uh, scenes here. That was, that was so cool. That was a great moment. Really executed well, mind-blowing. and just, Yeah, and kind of uh, haunting. Wow, yeah, a little creepy too. Yeah. Um, after this, Carlson admits that he's the one that let the lady vampire free on the Churchill, but he's not sure if he did it under his own free will or if she was like hypnotizing him to do it. And he reveals that he believes she wanted him to survive. Uh, I don't know. Take, take what you will from that. It's not that, that consequential. But his confession is interrupted by a radio communication that London is in utter chaos under some sort of plague. And, uh, oh, by the way, there's a line in here where Carlson's describing what he felt about this woman on the ship. And he was like, I was in love on a level you've never known, Kane. <laughs> it just felt like kind of a low-key burn. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, you don't know how I've ever felt about people. <laughs> exactly, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as a viewer, we're now back in London witnessing like the events taking place there on an apocalyptic scale, vampiric people killing each other in droves in the streets, things exploding, etc. And this scene actually looked really cool. It was a model of a city that they were destroying. And I thought the effects looked really good. I, I Did agree. Did you notice that? Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't realize it was a model, but, uh, it was, it was just cool to see like how, uh, the the whole storyline expanded and now like you're seeing a city being destroyed. Was, was, I, I didn't expect to see that. That was wild. Me neither. And I didn't know it was a model until I read up on it afterwards, but I do remember thinking like, oh, these effects look much better than the, the visual effects earlier in the film. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we learn that the vampire spaceship is parked over London and it's got this tractor beam that is sucking up souls, a.k.a. life forces, into its ship. When Kane and Carlson arrive in London, Kane manages to kill one of the male vampires with leaded iron outside the church where the female vampire has hidden her body. So she's hidden inside the church. The spaceship is above this church. So they're like, we got to get to this church. Um, and in this scene, did you notice this where Kane's about to kill the male vampire? He transforms into a giant bat, um, like we saw back on the ship. And at one point he says to Kane, this would be a lot less terrifying if you'd just come to me. Right. And Kane replies, I'll do just that. But his reply is in a completely different voice and an American accent. Oh, I didn't notice that. Instead of a British one. Oh, that's hilarious. Definitely poorly dubbed over. Some dubbing, yeah. Um, Carlson enters the church after this male guard has been dispatched to find the female vampire lying on the altar where her body is transferring the energy of human souls, basically people's life forces, to her ship in the sky above via this blue beam. So essentially she's sucking energy and then relaying it back to the ship. Presumably there are other entities like them back on the ship. Instead of uh, looking like bats in the book, they look like squids. Oh, uh where in um oh in the book really they, they, yeah they, oh interesting yeah wow. right yeah there were definitely some big changes made to this story just to make it more cinematic and yeah. they really had to I don't know what made them think it would be a good book to adapt in the first place sure. other than the core concept yeah um so anyway 
Carl approaches her. He succumbs to her temptations and begins to make love to her after she reveals to him that they are both a part of each other now, even though uh, a part of him is still trying to resist her temptations. But Colonel Kane comes in. He tosses Carlson the same iron sword that he used to destroy the male vampire outside. And Carlson, in an act of sacrifice, catches the sword and impales both himself and the vampire with one strike. This causes an explosion of energy, which destroys the cathedral and sends both Carlson and the woman back up to the ship. And that's essentially the end of the movie, right? And we assume that Earth is now safe from harm. Yeah, pretty abrupt ending. And uh, what what happens? Like, they go to the ship. Does that mean uh, everyone who's turned into a vampire or, like, a zombie or whatever thing on Earth, are they all just going to die, or do they get their life back? Or what, do you any idea what the Very open. Very open ending there. Because, yeah, what happens? Like, yeah. Carlson and this woman died, but aren't there a whole bunch on the ship still? And why would they leave? And, yeah, what about everyone else who can still turn people into vampires? Yeah, like the entire city of London, which is yeah. burned down, yeah, and full of vampires now. Or was she, like, the ringleader who, you know, now that her energy has been taken away, everyone's has. Or because she died while connected to that beam of life force, did it transfer to all the other ones and they died too? Like, that right. whole stream was poisoned now. Right. Uh, the book it hasn't given you any answers on that one yet. Okay. No, in the book, I'm only like two pages away from finishing, but this whole London plague and apocalyptic scenario never happens. Oh, okay. That was done for the film. Yeah, the book stays a lot smaller and is really just like a whole bunch of discussions. Like, yeah. there's this whole many, many pages where Carlson and Falada go to some other dude's mansion who has also reached research vampirism and... He's, like, way younger than he should be. He's, like, 90, but he looks young, and they find out he's sucking energy from, like, three women because he's figured out vampirism. And then one of the women comes into Carlson's room and sleeps with him. And there's another scene where Carlson, like, feels up a woman's boob to get some energy from her. (laughs) It it really starts to feel like, oh, my gosh, this is just an excuse for Carlson. And he's married with kids in the book. Oh, and man. he's like barely ever home. And yeah. it's just like this, it just feels like this weird male fantasy where it's like, what if I wrote a book where like I'm married and I've got like a beautiful wife and two beautiful kids, but I'm never home. And like <laughs> I get to grab all these boobs and all these women come <laughs> on to me and I can sleep with other women, but I don't feel guilty about it because it's like the life force of the universe and it's yeah. just natural. <laughs> and <laughs> Sounds like a really good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just seems like the whole book is an excuse to like write sure. out that fantasy. It's someone living out a fantasy. <laughs> yeah, ah oh, man, I, I'm torn because like uh, uh, a lot of that doesn't translate into the film. Like, uh, which is that? Uh, I mean, like part of part part of me is like, yeah, that, that's probably good that that like you don't get that feel feeling so much, and like there's more to the story. Yeah, I feel like some of the events of the film might have been better explained had they gone more into the themes of stuff and yeah. And not discarded so much from the book, but at the same time, the book really lacks cinematic moments. Mm, okay. Like, it's mostly just, like, them talking about things. Sure. And, yeah. and him sensing things through other people's minds. Like, he can connect through other people's minds, too, at a certain point. Not yeah. just not just minds that the vampire has been in. Got it. Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of my favorite parts of this film is, like, the times where, like, there were conversations or dialogues going on where it was just, like, the 
the the main character sitting around trying to figure out what's going on or where to go next or like what's happening in like cities around there um or like yeah, hypothesizing of like how things are uh how the life force thing or the vampires even work like i i, I love the dialogue uh and the conversations i, th- I thought those were fun so it yeah like actually the book has that. Uh, yeah the book has a lot of that so maybe you'd like the book I, yeah. I wasn't wild about that i i enjoyed the big moments of the movie but at the same time it was just kind of like i wish they were better explained and like paced better like what exactly is going on and yeah and yeah um, yeah, and there was just like no characterization. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know anything about Carlson. I don't know anything about Kane. I don't know anything about Falada. Right? Yeah, yeah. We know very little about the people. Uh, yeah, and you're right. The, the big events. There's a lot of fun to watch, but uh, yeah, it's hard to like kind of really fully understand like what's even happening. Like, there's some kind of blue force like going throughout the city, like blowing things up, and like it just doesn't make sense. Or like NATO is like hanging outside the. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where they're hanging out. But like outside the London city limits, I think, or something? Outside, like they've okay, sealed yeah. off the city? Right, yeah. There's the, and, and they go see the prime minister for a second. Right. <laughs> He's just like, I gotta see my assistant for a second. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of like big events going on that just like don't make a lot of sense. And in the book, they're like concerned the prime minister is possessed and like maybe his assistant is too. He was possessed, right? Stuff. I can't remember. Was he in the movie too? I think I think anytime you saw someone sweating, yeah, you knew like they had lost like someone's life force, and yeah, okay. they were somewhat possessed. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I maybe it was just like my state of mind the night I watched this, but I was just like having trouble keeping up. Yeah, was that I, just me, or or did you no, feel that too? I I gave up like uh, I don't know. 20, 30 minutes into this, I gave up trying to keep up because sure. yeah, I, I realized like this isn't a film that's like trying to uh, explain things or uh, make sense, and it's just about like yeah, how ridiculous and crazy can you make this plot about? I mean, just the title itself, a space vampires. It's not trying to be right. logical or uh, yeah, have have like a clear cohesive storyline. So uh, yeah, I, once I gave that up, it was a lot more fun. And the production company. They didn't want it to be called the Space Vampires because they didn't want it to be equated with some of the like lower budget movies they had done. Sure, but it really should have been because this is it's just like schlock and pulp. Like, yeah, it's a pulpy novel. It's a schlocky movie, even it though is. it's got a big a big budget. Twenty five million in in nineteen eighty five was a lot. Sure, it's still schlock. It's just like big budget schlock with lots of sets and effects. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think, but even uh, like, do you feel like the the way it's paced, uh, like yeah, the the pacing and like when events happen, like I feel like there's a decent amount of like build up before like, I mean, I'm also surprised when uh, three fourths of the wings of this film suddenly like the whole world is like blowing up and dying. So I, I feel like there there is like some art to like how they pace this out where it's like slowly like kind of unraveling like what's going on and more like fact finding and, and discovery before like turning on to like this huge like schlocky uh exposition yeah i think the general pacing was really good like a, on us on a large scale the pacing was good like hey like there's this mysterious stuff going on and then oh all of a sudden like we know she's a vampire she's walking around naked then yeah. like oh wow more bizarre stuff's happening now and kind of bonkers shit like people coming back to life right and exploding into dust and then like oh my god now these guys blood's pouring out of their faces and yep. congealing like 
that kind of stuff, like the big events, if you, you know, if you go through the plot like it's a, a line graph and all the little events are small and the big events are big. Right. The spacing of the big events and how they're paced out, I like that. Yeah. But so much of the little stuff is just like a lot's happening at once or the, or nothing's really happening and they're going to like a insane asylum. and Got it. Yeah. That that was the stuff that kind of got like uneven to me. Got it. So you feel like the second half when like things get like big, like that's kind of where uh, it's better. It's it's more well paced. I guess I just mean like the little things in between the big things were kind of weird. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Like, the, which I, character am I even with now? We got an interview <laughs> about a guy who felt like he was overwhelmed by feminine energy. Feminine energy, and then like right. I don't even remember who that was or if he showed up again. Like yeah, that dude. Uh, that was interesting. I forget how you know, what happened to his character. Yeah, uh, or like who he even was. Uh, yeah, even, even the detective who's like a pretty main character here. I'm not sure like who he works for, like why he's there. Um, yeah, they, exactly. It's hard, Same. Uh, yeah, hard hard to place people or like the, any kind of rationale around like what's going on here. <laughs> it seems like the screenplay. Th- I did read that like. Some stuff just never was shot. There were scenes that were more important to like understanding things that didn't get shot because oh. they were going over schedule and running out of money. Yeah, they just skipped so, over it. Yeah, so I don't know if the weaknesses are in the screenplay or in just like the practicalities of making the movie, but yeah. maybe a little bit of both. Sure, that makes sense. Um, yeah, but there was actually some really cool shots and cinematography throughout, like. There is a lot of, not to just compliment all the shots with the naked lady in them, but a lot of those were kind of like ominous or really artsy and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there were some some cool shots that that you could make a really like cool just like collection of of screen grabs from this movie, both yeah. lighting, lighting and and framing and stuff. Right. Yeah. It, the the sci fi like uh, feel to it, especially in those earlier shots too. And, and yeah, when you're kind of there's a lot of suspense around like who she is and what she's doing, and like yeah, the, even like the way she would be positioned in like a setting, uh, yeah, really well done. Yeah, those, those it, are, are cool, cool moments of the movie. Agreed. What do you think the biggest weaknesses of the film are? I mean, obviously, yeah, you're right. Like the plot uh, being like nonsensical. There's uh, just like so much missing rationale. There's a bunch of plot holes. Uh, I don't think the story is fully baked. I, I do think some of those early bodies that don't look like that interesting or like clearly mechanical puppets, I assume, that uh, like the first guard and stuff that, yeah, just, just didn't look that uh, interesting. And then, uh, yeah, just the ending to me didn't make a lot of sense. And then the character development obviously was missing. But outside of those, which are pretty vague, <laughs> those are kind of like the big <laughs> What about you? Anything I missed yeah. I, I would agree with that. Although I thought I thought most of the practical effects looked pretty good. I was pretty pleased with the practical stuff. Oh, okay. And makeups, but um, I, in addition to those other weaknesses, I think the acting is pretty underwhelming. Um, mm. especially from what's his name, the guy who plays Carlson, Steve Railsback. Oh, yeah. Not particularly great. <laughs> and there's just some lines that are like, just laugh out loud funny to me. Both the the line and the delivery. Like when he's roughing up that woman, he's like, "This this woman is a masochist, an extreme masochist." <laughs> it's just like, oh my god. There's just yeah. some laugh out loud moments. 
there are, um, yeah. He, he, I feel like him as a character was just like, he, he was so off. Like, you never knew where he was going to be. He was so off. And, and it's not an easy job to, like, depict yourself struggling from some internal force trying to control your mind. So there's a lot of him, like, grunting and straining and sweating. And it's just <laughs> yeah weird. It just doesn't turn out right. Yeah, It's a weird movie to adapt for that kind of reason. Right. Um, I do think the editing is pretty strange in a few parts. Like in the scene where um, Dr. Armstrong, Patrick Stewart, gets his first on-screen kiss, there's a guy who like walks into the room while that's happening and the lightning bolts are everywhere. And they spend like a weird amount of time like on him while he just kind of looks around the room in <laughs> awe. Like yeah. it's almost like you can tell he just like never assumed he'd be on the screen for that long. So he's like <laughs> running out of expressions to make, but they're like, no, we're sticking with we're this. Sticking and that's staying in the edit. He's just like, <laughs> keep going, like, keep going. Gaping yeah. mouth looking around the room. Like, yeah. For yeah. A, a weird amount of time. Yeah. And then they cut back to him later. <laughs> it's just like, okay, we don't care what this guy thinks. I mean, yeah. That was a really funny choice uh, on the directing side to yeah, focus on yeah. him for a bit. There's a couple of just laugh out loud weird <laughs> flubs like that. Kind yeah, of. definitely um, weird choices. Yeah, and I, I I think one of the movie's strengths is the same as his weaknesses. Like, there's a lot of interesting ideas that seem like big and unique, but then like when you feel like when you poke more at them or look under the covers, it's not really that interesting or thought-provoking after all. Like, mm. oh, like vampires suck energy and we're all kind of like sucking energy from each other to an extent. And lovemaking is like that. And it's like, I don't, is it? Like, I don't, I don't really know. Like, <laughs> yeah. And the book goes even deeper into that. And I don't know that it succeeds any more than, than the film. One cool thing that the book expands on it's like so this is a whole like culture of of aliens that goes around and steals life from other creatures in the galaxy and it reveals that like it came to visit earth and then like pointed us down the path of like civilization basically as a way to like farm humans because it was like hey like if you guys can figure this out you'll make more of each other and you'll breed more and then your population's gonna like be way huger so that we can come back and like feast off you guys. Oh, that's really cool. That's like a so business that, investment. Yeah, exactly. And I know there's a lot of like conspiracy theories on like history's channel shows, like ancient aliens helped us design all these things. Yeah. So it's cool to be like, yeah, we were there and we were helping you guys, but it was basically just so you could make a whole bunch more of you for us to come eat. Right. Yeah. Uh, someday. So it was, yeah, it's basically like, like their life. They, exactly. They, they really, we were yeah. like human livestock. That's really cool. That's brought up in the book, but yeah, that doesn't come through the Yeah, it sounds like the book is just packed with a lot more uh, meaning and like uh, themes than came through in the movie. Yeah, I mean, the book is like all ideas and zero events. That's mm. that's an exaggeration, but like that's why I'm like, oh, wow, it's weird that they chose to adapt this movie because it's, it's very much discussion and ideas based and not so much like this yeah. giant thing just happened and that would look incredible to depict on screen. Sure. Like they really had to make some of that up. Got it. Okay. Like, okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds like these are two like works that live, uh, pretty, uh, separately from one another and can be appreciated for. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. And actually yeah. they, they really don't kill many people in the book. Like hmm. they, they do find that dead body in the park, but the aliens try not to kill people if they can help it. Cause they don't oh. want to leave a trail. Right. So there's nothing about these people like, 
shriveling up and then coming back to life in two hours to infect other people. Oh, that's just something for the movie. Yeah, and therefore it never becomes like a big pandemic scale. Like they never expand. Nobody ever even knows it's happening except for the handful of people involved. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. this book sounds really good. I might have to check that out. I'll tell you what, man. It's not good, but <laughs> it's a page turner. Like if you're like looking for a beach read or something, it's it's yeah. not bad to read. Okay, cool. And And one big thing I will spoil, so if you don't want the ending in the book spoiled just skip ahead like 30 seconds or a minute but they reveal that i think i'm still trying to figure this out carlson has been possessed the whole time by yet another alien culture who's been trying to fight this culture what which is such a weird again the the book has some pacing issues too because you find that out with like three pages left and it's just like wait what (laughs) that's insane it's a bit of carlson he's got like no uh ownership of himself he's just like he really doesn't yeah just like possessed by all these different cultures. He's a really weak character. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, um, yeah part part of me thinks this movie could have like made some big, uh, you yeah, brought in some of that commentary or like had like messages to deliver, but I think it gets lost in all like the confusion of like the editing and like the big events that have to happen here. Yeah, it could have been a better movie. I I, I don't think. I think Wilson was off base saying like, "Hey, this is like the worst adaptation ever," because. A, in my opinion, his book isn't that great, and B, it couldn't really be adapted without changing a decent amount of stuff, or it'd mm. be a boring movie to watch. Sure. Yeah, more dialogue-driven. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, anyway, man, uh, let's see. Zero to five naked alien vampires, what do you give this thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's so much wrong with this film, but I, I think I give it three naked alien vampires because uh, it's it's a really fun aesthetic they make and as you mentioned it's kind of like an ambitious story maybe more ambitious than it could afford to be but it takes vampires into like a fun new direction uh, a fun new space if, if we're talking literally and uh, it's it's I feel like it's it's a fun balance of like campiness and uh, a somewhat intriguing storyline that kind of keeps you guessing along the way where, where things are going even if none of it makes any sense so I, I had a good time watching it how about you I'm right there with you man I can criticize this movie till the cows come home but in the end I gave it 3.5 out of 5 naked alien vampires it's not a great movie, but its audacious moments and ambitious visuals outweigh the flawed pacing, editing, and characterization to make for quite an entertaining journey. Like, there's no way yeah. you can watch this movie and not be entertained. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a feat, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there was just quite a few moments. Like, the first time somebody turned, like, came back and, like, sucked life force from somebody else, that... that time when the woman comes back while she's strapped down like your ghoulish figure struggling for life right and then the time when the blood pours out of those dudes faces it's that was just a great scene. like yeah those were all like jaw-dropping moments for me where it's like what yeah so exactly you get enough of those in a movie and it's just it's fun yeah it's really fun to watch yeah yep and uh, I, I loved uh, the horror element of like uh, how you'd see the figures turn into like the their true form of the bats every now and then that was like a fun surprise. Yeah, well, I wasn't wild about that, but but okay. Yeah. It, it felt like there were some things where it's just like we're really trying to force the vampire mythology into <laughs> just to these remind creatures. Just to bits. Yeah, but again, there's things you got to do to make it make it pop on screen. Squids just wouldn't have worked. Yeah, yeah, that would have been weird. Yeah. Anything else? Nah, that's all I got. 
All right. Well, that has been our discussion on Life Force. Uh, thanks, Ed, for, for having us watch this movie. If you enjoy the conversation, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us a five-star rating. We appreciate that. It helps other people find the show, too. If you want to connect with us, go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the social links drop-down. You'll find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we tell you what movie we're covering next week on all three of those uh, social media outlets. We're also on Discord, where we got a great community of listeners and horror movie fans, so come on there and just talk horror with people. Uh, Amy Mae Popart does our logo. You can find her on Etsy.com by searching Amy Mae Popart, all one word. And you can also Google Horror Movie Club Coaster Set to find a little coaster set she made for the show with our logo on it. Buy that. If you want to sub to Patreon, go to HorrorMovieClub.com and click on the big orange Patreon button for a dollar a month. You'll gain access to our bonus episodes as well as some videos that we have put out there. And until next time, if a few decades from now you happen to be in outer space and you encounter some sexy naked aliens, do not trust them. If they're ugly naked aliens, you're probably safe. (laughs) No ulterior motives there. Just some folks who love to let it all hang out. (laughs) Straight up honesty. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, more naked, what of it? Yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to seduce you. It's not about you. Yeah, exactly. You're in space. You've got to settle for this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. At one point in the book, that just reminded me to describe what her boobs look like in zero gravity. Oh, my God. What do they look like? They, uh... Yeah, how would they look in zero gravity? It basically, it looks like she's wearing a bra even though she's not. Ah, that's how zero gravity works. That's how they describe it, at least. <laughs> I've never seen a zero gravity boob, but I'll take their word for it. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to imagine that. <laughs> Put that on your bucket list. <laughs> exactly. 